I'm not here because of drugs. I'm here because of human rights. Welcome to the Greener Grass podcast from Bluebird Botanicals. I'm your host, Lex Pelger. This week, I'm pleased to announce the start of a new series. The series will focus on women in the cannabis world, and it's based on the excellent new book by Amy Piccicillo called Breaking the Grass Ceiling, Women, Weed, and Business. It features the story of 21 women in the cannabis world, and it's great to see a book talking about the females who work and grow this old female plant. When we reached out to Amy for an interview, she was kind enough to say yes right away, and it turned into a great conversation. But we won't be starting with her interview this week, but instead we'll talk with another one of the powerhouse women that Amy features in her book, because she has a great event coming up just after this show airs. I first interviewed Betty Aldworth five years ago while doing research for my graphic novel series on cannabis. That day, like today, we met in Denver for our talk. But last time, she was at the office of the National Cannabis Industry Association. It was there that she organized the Women's Cannabis Business Network, which eventually branched out and gave rise to the Women Grow Network, founded by Jane West, another person featured in the book. But... From her work at the NCIA, Betty was asked to head one of my very favorite organizations, Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Betty will talk more about their work in the show, but I can say that in my years covering the drug world, nobody pumps out more fiery young activists than SSDP. That's why it was especially kind of her to grant us an interview with just a week to go until their big national conference in Washington, D.C., so if anybody out there listening can make it to the nation's capital this weekend, you can attend one of my hands-down favorite drug conferences that I've seen anywhere in the world. It's wonderful to see all these young people who will change the world, mixing it up with their advisors and mentors and fellow travelers who are invested in helping SSDP to do all their activism work. It's a great conference, and even if you can't make it, search to see if there might be an SSDP chapter in your neck of the woods and go check out an event. It'll be inspiring, to be sure. So until then, here's Betty. This show is brought to you by Bluebird Botanicals, to spread education about cannabis and other things on the greener side of life. Bluebird CBD oil comes from farms in southern Colorado and is grown using only water, soil, and sunlight. Go to bluebirdbotanicals.com for more info. We are here with Betty Aldworth of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. Thanks so much for taking time, especially before your big giant conference coming up. I'm really excited to have the chance to chat about this, Lex. Yeah, thanks. We And it's been a lot of nice years. It was actually in Denver years ago that I met you when you were with NCIA, I believe. Um, probably if it was in 2013. Yeah. Oh, in fact, yeah, I, I remember our first meeting up in um, the what used to be the Vicente Cedarberg offices where we rented some space from NCIA. Yeah, I had that um, tan office with the peaked roof. Yes. Yeah. And that beautiful skylight. Yeah. Yeah. And then just watching moving <laughs> on up from there. Yeah. So now you're heading the largest student anti drug war movement uh, around. How did you get into this? How did this start becoming a passion for you? Um, I have long understood that the best approach to drug problems in communities is a harm reduction approach. Um, that's something that I learned almost 20 years ago when my sister was working with the sex work organization. And 
you know, um, when someone's experiencing a chaotic relationship with drugs, that's a health problem, not a criminal justice problem. Um, and my work in marijuana was, you know, sort of informed by that, but much more informed by the the idea that, or at least at the beginning, by the idea that patients ought to have access to medicine that works for them. Um, but as I got to learn more about it, all of these things sort of unfolded for me in terms of the depth and breadth of the influence of the war on drugs on our policies writ large, and just how much the war on drugs influences the various social issues that I care about, racial justice, uh, mass incarceration, uh, economic injustice, and the ways that we marginalize communities, the drug war is the most important hammer in that toolbox, right? And uh, so when I had the opportunity to um, make the leap from working on just marijuana policy to um, broader drug policy in general, I took it in a heartbeat, especially since it was with Students for Sensible Drug Policy, which is such an amazing organization of young people. But I love working with the students because as much as the drug policy reform movement is a forward-looking movement, young people are always going to be 10 years ahead of the rest of us. So this is like the future of a futuristic movement, and that's really fun. Um, but also, you know, young people don't really have a sense of the impossible. They haven't um, figured out yet that, like, the world's going to be a lot harder to move than you think. And so they're coming into this work with a with a sense of clarity and ideological, uh, you know, alignment and, and purpose that is unpolluted by the world just yet. Like not, you know, and it's, I don't mean to sound utterly naive. I know that for many of our members, they've been through a lot. But they, they are more likely to have a strong sense that they can actually change the world. And that's what it takes to get it done, right? Um, and I really, you know, I align and identify with that very strongly. I still believe that to be true for myself. So I want to surround myself with people who agree. Great. Harnessing that energy. I remember an old an old shaman saying, of course the kid's wrong in these giant dreams, but he has to dream them. It's necessary for all of us. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that is what gives us something inspirational to, to move toward, you know? I mean, there's... Um, I think that, you know, particularly in this moment where we see young people standing up across the nation, um, you know, no matter how it is that we might feel about uh, gun laws and the discussion around that, you know, here in the week after the Parkland shooting in Florida, we see that the dialogue is actually finally changing. It's not just the same old routine. The uh, the conversation is sticking in the media. We're continuing to talk about, you know, the shooting, gun rights, the problems in our, uh, you know, with toxic masculinity and um, and uh, the the ways that we approach the Second Amendment. Uh, which I think that, you know, we can basically all agree that even if we take very different approaches to how to fix it, um, we clearly have a problem where when school shootings are as common as they are now um, and, and other mass shootings, we need to be having this conversation as a nation. We've always let it slip to the back burner. We've always been, uh, you know, complained about the thoughts and prayers and then not continued the dialogue, but we're continuing the dialogue now. We are we are having the conversation nine days later, and I believe that we will continue to be having the conversation for quite some time. 
And that's not because the grownups are doing it. It's the students. It's the students standing up. That's true. And and you've been seeing the same thing in the dialogue around the war on drugs since you've been in the movement, getting it seen from an issue that is just so off the table to something that now is being talked about as one of the great mass ills. I mean, what's that been like to watch for you? It's been really interesting. Um, you know, my early work in this space has been... Um, was around, uh, you know, media and public relations and community relations. So really, like, focusing on changing the way that we talk about things. My f- my very first job in the space was uh, trying to convince people that uh, potency and, and purity testing for cannabis mattered for patients, right? Like, this was a long time wow. ago. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Everybody, everybody's like wanting to know what the terpene and cannabinoid profiles are now. Um, nine years ago, nobody cared. We couldn't convince anyone that it mattered what was in their cannabis, and um, and really struggled in the beginning to have that conversation. So, like that that particular conversation around like cannabis as a product has evolved so much. The conversation around. Um, you know, uh, incarceration and the other social ills of cannabis prohibition has changed very dramatically. Um, you know, we, we're really talking now much more about the public health outcomes and tax revenue than I ever, I mean, it, it boggles my mind that the biggest conversations that we have um, in the national dialogue around cannabis are around the economics of it. Um, that's very surprising to me. Although it shouldn't have been, but it is. Um, <laughs> capitalism is far more powerful than I even realized. But, you know, I think that the thing that is most um, heartening to me is that we're really having a serious and thoughtful and oftentimes evidence-based uh, discussion around, you know, the use of more stigmatized drugs and how we save people's lives in this overdose crisis. I think that there's... Um, there's obviously a lot of conversation that still doesn't meet those qualifications, but um, we are surely having a, a more elevated dialogue um, about that now, about more stigmatized drugs and the people who use them who are also more stigmatized. Um, I think that that it offers us incredible opportunity to change the way that we're really approaching this. And as you started towards this, how did your own relationship to drugs and what you saw going on around you affect your approach and your interest? Yeah, when I first started in marijuana policy, I had actually quit using marijuana for five years. And the only drugs I was using were alcohol and caffeine. And, um, and uh, you know, I was one of the very many women who in their late 20s have, um, a, you know, some sort of biochemical shift where marijuana causes anxiety more often than not. So I couldn't smoke it anymore. Uh, at, at that point, I was really not a user, but compelled by the medical promise. Um, and through my work at the lab, I, I figured out that, like, actually, it's about the cannabinoid content. And yes, I can use cannabis, and I can use it medically and socially, and um, you know, as part of my wellness routine. And that was a really wonderful, eye-opening experience. I've I've deeply appreciated bringing cannabis uh, back into my life. Um, and, uh, you know, since then have, for most intents and purposes, stopped using alcohol, although caffeine is still my best friend. 
You um, gotta be addicted to something. Yeah. I sincerely believe. <laughs> right? I quit sugar eight months ago. I'm. Ooh, I know. Hoo-ah. I know. That was the one drug that was like really in charge. Right? I was not in charge of my relationship with sugar. Whether or not you want to think about it as a drug, I was not in charge of that relationship, and I fixed that. So it's really good. <laughs> Mas- yeah. That's Thank cool. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not yeah. fully abstinent. Every once in a while, you know, I'll have a bite of something, but that's okay. What was it like for you to be coming into this, specifically the the drug space versus the other worlds you've worked in? How has it been different being a female warrior here against the drug war? Yeah, I, you know, I've actually uh, spent a good part of my life in uh, male-dominated spaces. Um, I audited classes and lived in a community um, during my college, my early college years um, at a place called Deep Springs in uh Central Eastern California, absolute middle of nowhere, community of 50, 26 students, and um, as of today, all male. Uh, And I'm super, super pleased to say that Deep Springs is currently accepting and evaluating um, its first class, uh, its first co-ed class, uh, inviting young people of all genders. Um, And so the next class will include uh, men, women and those who don't identify on the on the binary. Uh, but, you know, I, I lived for two years in a community that was primarily male um, and during formative years, 17 to 19. So I really had an opportunity there to sort of figure out how to navigate male spaces um, and how to do so from a place of power, which was really incredibly helpful, as it turns out, when I came into drug policy reform in the marijuana world, because as much as medical marijuana is full of women, um, it is also the case that it, that the policy movement and um, and the cannabis community at large has been a, a fairly male space. I'm not going to surprise anybody listening when I say that, you know, for most of its history. And so... Um, so between that and my experience in nonprofits, which are decidedly not so, you know, for a lot of different reasons, nonprofits tend to be um, administered by women. Um, and those are lots of socioeconomic reasons that we don't need to dive into now. But the, um, you know, having those two experiences um, gave me um, an orientation around how I go about my work um, and um, interactions with people that that sort of allow me to manage and minimize gender bias oftentimes. Not perfectly by any means. It still happens to me. It happens to everybody, right? Like, we know that. Um, and particularly in this moment where lots of people are talking publicly about their experiences, like, of course, um, in the workplace, in personal relationships, I have oftentimes found myself in positions where, where I feel like, I, I felt like I have allowed you know a gendered interaction to marginalize my involvement you know and that's entirely separate of course from incidents of harassment or assault right like like that's just gendered interactions in in the workplace and I want to be real clear about that but the that's been a little bit easier for me to manage so I can like you know go to the uh, founders, the founding group of SSDP, which is like 20 dudes and Amanda Ryman, and like still hold my own space. And that doesn't feel uncomfortable to me, you know, and that's, that's something that, that, uh, that I feel um, entirely equipped for. And so as someone who teaches so much to students, what advice do you uh, often give to young women who want to make a difference in this hard world of activism? 
I would say that the most important things for anyone trying to create change is to be full of integrity and unapologetic about it, right? Like be fierce, be integral, be kind. Those are the most important things. That's great. Thanks. And, and, it's advi- and it's great advice for everybody. And it's, it's part of the reason that I think SSDP is such a powerhouse of an organization is because you're instilling these values into young people who have so much energy. They work with SSDP uh, through the college years, maybe even some after. And then they start these organizations. And I've just run yeah. into so many organizations that are a couple of people. They're all SSDPers and they're working on one part of the drug war or some other kind of activism. And what's it been like for you to take over this helm and to start fostering these these activist warriors going out there? It's really great to watch. You know, like in my time at SSDP, there have been all sorts of um, organizations started by SSDPers that I've seen. And, you know, um, <clears throat> SSDPers were um, made up most of uh, the founding group of um, psychedelic club and societies. Um, the, uh, SSDPers have, um, started, uh, This Week in Drugs, the awesome podcast that I hope all of your listeners are also enjoying. Um, they, they started Drug Story, which is a fully searchable, taggable database of drug experiences so that people can, you know, um, interact with other people's experiences a little more easily and readily and learn from that as a harm reduction approach. And then the Minority Cannabis Business Association um, has been incredibly heavily influenced by SSDPers. There are SSDPers on the board. They're running the policy processes. They're, you know, terrifically influential in the, in that group as well. And it's really um, amazing to see all of these people influencing the way that we are approaching the future, just like they did when they were in college, but now with like a little more freedom and a little bit, a little more knowledge about how to navigate the world and like a, some some more opportunity to um, take their learnings from being an SSTP in college and turn that into and and apply that to uh, the world outside college in, in new ways. It's really great. Yeah, it just seems like such a great place to learn about new tools. And so for uh, you know, I, I it occurs to me and I I know this. I don't know why I didn't say it, but like most of those people who I just referenced, many of them, uh, not all, but well over half of them are young women. Um and this that's a really exciting thing too, you know, when we're talking about like SSDP and um the the ways that it's influencing the future of the reform movement. One of those ways is that um you know, we are uh, remarkably uh, diverse by a lot of different measures. We've got members from 28 different countries or in 28 different countries now. Um, we have members across the gender spectrum, but uh, men, people who identify as men, um, only make up 40% of, 48% of our membership, so less than half. Um, and in our leadership in particular, we have extraordinary uh, gender and ethnic diversity. And that's a really um, exciting thing, you know, to, to bring more voices, to lift up more voices in the movement so that we are really are, um, you know, a, a reform movement that is representing the voices of the people who are most impacted. 
And it also impressed me how early SSDP was talking about uh, gender pronouns and issues like that, that simply the end of emails to have a a statement and preferred pronouns. Uh, You were one of the first organizations I saw anywhere doing something like that, which was very impressive. Yeah, it's interesting. Like we tend to be um, uh, fairly quiet about it. You know, we're not we're not going to like get out there trumpeting that like, hey, (laughs) like we're way ahead of everybody else, (laughs) you know, but we kind of are right. Like the the pronouns that the, you know, including pronouns in our email signature, that was just a, a, a very. Um, it was a no-brainer. It was a way to signal that, like, we welcome people of all genders into our organization. And we, um, you know, like, that is the sort of people who we are. And, and to be able to signal that to people who, you know, for for trans folk, they have spent their entire lives being marginalized. And we want them to know that they're welcome with us. Yeah, it, it makes sense. That, that foment of young energy. You know, every mm-hmm. and because for me of all the drug conferences I go to, SSDP is just some of the most energetic, vitalizing of anywhere I go. And the conversations are happening and they're all over the place and they're respectful, but they are not always in agreement and people really learn how to suss out what matters to them. Yeah. And you can see the the tools really being formed. And so I was wondering for someone out there who might be listening who wanted to start a chapter for themselves mm-hmm. or what what does the mechanics look like? How independent are the units if you started your own chapter at a university? Yeah, so um, we define ourselves as a grassroots network. It's really important to us that students are able to sort of, you know, define their own destiny. What I mean by that is that you know, we provide tools, resources and network um, we provide connection to the broader drug policy reform community. Um, we provide sort of translation between the desires of an individual chapter or, um, you know, young people working in their community and the broader theory of change that's guiding this international movement, right? Because every single chapter, every single unit of SSDP is part of this broader movement. And like, we want to create the connective tissue between the chapters and this great big global movement of tens of thousands of people who are working all over the world. Um, But we really like the most important part of coaching that we do. um, The most important resource that we provide is like helping people identify what the most urgent drug-related issues are in their community that they feel passionate about and are able to address, and then helping them develop a pathway for addressing them, right? So, you know, we do certainly, of course, run national and international campaigns. There are times when we're heavily focused on a particular thing. For example, um, you know, we're headed to D.C. right after our conference to do a lobby day where we're going to be talking about the Higher Education Act and how people with drug offenses are still losing access to um, uh, financial aid. We're going to talk about the Rave Act and how it is still the case that um, venues are are not engaging, you know, evidence-based harm reduction approaches uh, to nightlife drug use um, because they're afraid of the federal government cracking down on them for uh, having a drug-involved premises. And we're going to talk about the Marijuana Justice Act, you know, but those are things that everybody um, in our network can agree on, right? Like, if you're with us, you believe that these things are wrong, basically. And so we can align around these big ideas. But when it comes to figuring out what you want to work on in your own community, 
that is really about like what's going on for you as a chapter and what's going on on your campus or in your state. So maybe maybe it is that you want to join us as we legalize marijuana in Michigan with our allies. Cool. We love that. You know, like, yes, absolutely. Let's let's activate young people around that idea this year. That's a really important thing. Um, maybe you want to start a conversation about um, about SIFs in your community, safe injection facilities, so that people, um, you know, are able to um, access harm reduction, um, you know, in in safe spaces and and, uh, avoid overdose and medical issues by um, injecting in in spaces where they have resources. Um, Maybe you want the officers on your campus to carry naloxone, the opioid overdose reversal drug. Maybe you want the health center to offer drug checking so that people know what's in their drugs before they take them since 80% of MDMA on the market is adulterated. You know, like any of those issues, the broad swath of issues related to drug policy, the criminal justice issues that are related to it, the social justice issues, the public health issues, the the liberty issues, all of it. You decide what's most important to you and your community, and we're going to help you get there. It, it almost feels like deploying a whole bunch, a, a swarm of of uh, people working all these different directions and doing the attack in all these different directions. Yeah. And uh, for someone out there wanting to support SSTP, what would be the most helpful things? Um, sure. In terms of donations and time and things like that. Yeah. Let me let me actually uh, as to your first question. Um, you know, it, if you go to our website at ssdp.org and like click start a chapter, you can uh, start a chapter on your campus. Anybody can do that around the world. There might even already be a chapter on your campus that you can help uh, join and guide and, and participate in because just as we are grassroots, um, the chapters are you know, like democratic groups of people who make decisions together. So, you know, you can you can join and influence your chapter even if it, if it already exists. Um, for those who would like to support SSDP, um, we are a super scrappy, um, bootstrappy organization. Uh, and we, Amen. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, we, we take that very seriously, but it still takes money uh, to get this work done, right? We've got nine folks on staff who are uh, supporting these 300 chapters and the hundreds of policy initiatives that are undertaken every year. Um, you know, one of those people is uh, Dr. Vilmarie Narlock, who's our drug education manager, who is training up 120 students right now to deliver drug education on their campuses. Yeah, I know. It's wow. great. Like, there's just so much going on at SSDP. And we're cheap about it, but it still takes money. So obviously, you know, financial support is always a really, uh, it, it's the the easiest and best way to help um, in, in a lot of ways. You can also reach out to your local chapter. And, you know, if you have expertise in an issue that they might be interested in, if you feel like you can engage with that chapter while being, you know, respectful of the notion that, like, young people are in charge around here. Uh, you know, that's uh, We welcome people to get in touch with the chapter, help them with their efforts, go and you know give a talk or whatever it might be. Um, that's a, a wonderful way to interact with SSDPers on the ground. Um, and then we also, you know, we engage lots of folks in, um, in our work on the day to day, you know, whether it's getting the word out about our work, about whether it's... Um, you know, supporting these policy initiatives that we're concerned about, whether, you know, whatever it might be. So I would definitely encourage, you know, for those people who want to be a little more engaged than just sending, you know, sending in a donation, which 
please <laughs> do that too. <laughs> but um, but for people who want to be a little more engaged, like get on our mailing list and check us out, see what we're about, see what you're passionate about, and you know, um, help us contribute to our resources, build out the amazing network that we have, and and uh, you know, join these young people in their in their work. Yeah, amen. It's because it's for people who aren't students, it's a really fun place to be around and you can help make a difference with uh, some of the things you learn. Like you said, as long as you remember who's in charge here. <laughs> yep. But it's, it's nice to see so many uh, uh, of the next generation come in SSDP conferences just because they like being around it and they help in their way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's yeah. beautiful to see how yeah. much mixing happens with a student organization. Mo it, th this is uh, the most intergenerational time of my life, I think. You know, like it's, it's actually really cool. Um, you know, like the um, we have SSDP's very grandfather. Uh, Eric Sterling, who, um, you know, my has, favorite Quaker. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My, maybe my favorite person. <laughs> no. um, you know, Eric is uh, has been a longtime advisor. He worked, um, you know, in the Judiciary Committee in the eighties, and like, you know, he. It, he predates SSDP. His college experience predates SSDP by like decades, right? Um, he sits on our board of directors and he, uh, you know, he gets the nickname Fairy Godfather for a reason, you know, and he'll be at the conference. Um, and then we'll have our, uh, you know, a, a very significant number of our alumni core there from every cohort of SSDP uh, from the entire 20 years of our history. Um, and then our youngest SSDPers who are in high school right now, you know, and and uh, and everybody comes together um, in this really respectful place where, yeah, again, like we know who's in charge, we know who's in charge next, and you know, even the students in college uh, now or the the recently graduated students, um, you know, are looking to those high school chapters, knowing that those are the next leaders. And just two more before I let you get back to the conference craziness. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the what in the future is coming up that, that's exciting right now for you and the organization? There are some exciting things for us happening internally <laughs> that, uh, that will show. Um, but what they're really going to be doing is uh, setting us up for what comes next. And what comes next is a real conversation about all drug decriminalization and how we're going to really like stop using the criminal justice system as a cudgel against the community of people who use drugs, no matter what those drugs are. And um, I'm, I, you know, like, that's the place that I want to get us. That's where I want us to be in a handful of years here. And that's going to take us starting to do that work now, right? And yes, of course, like we will continue to keep our focus on marijuana policy reform. We are going to continue to prepare ourselves for the next Congress when we hope that we'll be able to um, really influence the way that cannabis policy has helped. And maybe in the next Congress, we actually like could see something like the Marijuana Justice Act passed. We're going to continue to do to lay the groundwork because it is all groundwork. None of this happens, you know, like overnight. It's all a matter of people working over the course of decades to get it done. Um, and so uh, we will continue to keep our eye on the marijuana ball, if you will. <laughs> um, uh, but we are really starting to think about like, what comes next, and get ourselves ready for that. And I'm really, really thrilled to start digging in on that. That's perfect. And leads into my last question really nicely. 
if you were one of the major policy advisors selected by the federal government to put into place how this decriminalization of all drugs would look, what are the most important aspects of that that you would make sure has to be in that set of laws and regulations? Yeah, first and foremost, it really needs to be centered in human rights and harm reduction, right? Like, I'm not here because of drugs. I'm here because of human rights. And like, that, you know, as I said at the beginning or earlier, um, the drug war is used as a tool to undermine human rights in communities, not just in America, but across the world. And we have an opportunity to completely reshape that if we can just pull our heads out of the war on drugs, right? If we can just stop thinking that demand reduction um, is going to actually change supply, or sorry, excuse me, that supply reduction is going to change demand, if we can stop thinking that like demand reduction happens by throwing people in prison, if we can start taking evidentiary approaches to that, um, and and like return to a, a place where we think of drug users as human beings who deserve rights, then I believe we will um, be able to like fundamentally transform the way that we address um, drugs and the people who use them in our communities. So that's what it, th- those would be the two most important guiding values in uh, th- that I would bring to that kind of work. And then I would call a lot of the people who are smarter than me, who I've been working with for de- for almost a decade now, on this, and uh, and make sure that they were involved too. <laughs> I hope to see it come to pass. Oh, me too. That would be great. That would be great. Uh, Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and for all the good work getting these warriors out there. It's always such a pleasure. Thanks for the conversation. All right. Thanks. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Greener Grass is a Bluebird Botanicals podcast. Their CBD oil supports a healthy body and a strong endocannabinoid system. They've got friendly customer service who can answer any of your questions, and the number is right there at the top of their webpage. But, per the FDA, they won't be able to make any medical claims for these nutritional supplements. That's also the reason you'll hear little about CBD on this show. There's no need for us to add more evidence about CBD when a simple Google search will give you more than you can read in a month of Sundays. So this show covers the cannabis world and more with editorial freedom from Bluebird Botanicals. Thanks for joining the Greener Grass Podcast. As always, our audio alchemist is Matt Payne. The Gypsy Jazz theme music comes from Brett Van Donsel. Our beautiful bird sounds are courtesy of Lang Elliott. And I'm your host, Lex Pelger, wishing you a bright green day. <laughs>